Hey everybody, welcome to We've Got the Beat, the podcast devoted to teen entertainment of the 80s and beyond. I'm your host, Michael. My co-host, Mindy, is on the other side. Yo. What are we discussing on this episode? Food. Food. We're going to discuss food, so fuck the episode that we had planned. <laughs> I love talking about food. <laughs> this is We Got the okay. Beef. <laughs> we Got the Beef. <laughs> this is our burger episode. <laughs> Snack edition. Snack edition. <laughs> oh, no, we're going okay. to... Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, uh, we're discussing A Knight's Tale and Moulin Rouge. Why which... is this? Is kind of strange because, for at first first glance, it doesn't seem like they have a lot of similarities. And at second glance, Moulin Rouge is not really a teen movie. But we're making an exception because we can. Well, I feel like Moulin Rouge was specifically geared towards a teen audience. They're trying to make musicals nah. appealing to a younger audience. Remember the video was on MTV all the time? The way it's edited, the way it's shot well, is a I whole guess. new way. Baz Luhrmann is always aimed young. And so I feel like this was something that could have been stiff and boring, and he did a, a, a great job of aiming this at... You at you were what? How old at this time? 21, and I did see it in the movie theater. Yeah. So this feels like it was really aimed towards high school and college kids, so that's why I made yeah, the exception. It's the 20th anniversary of both of them, and both had this thing where they took modern... Well, sort of modern songs of the Night, Night's Tale, and then put them in the past. Which, didn't they also well, certainly, do that? Just... It was certainly modern compared to the time period of said movie. Right. And I just realized, I think there was a third movie in this style, and I've never seen it, so I don't know for sure, but can you confirm, Marie Antoinette, did that use modern music? I've seen it, but I don't recall. Okay. I can't remember. So I remember that was one that they looked like they were trying to make it hip and aiming at a younger audience, which is more of a classic well, tale. Well, definitely I can see... Uh, you know similarities in the style maybe like I would definitely kind of see similarities to like Romeo and Juliet kind of thing and maybe they did do that with the music uh, but you know Sofia Coppola kind of while none of her movies really have similar themes they still sort of have a similar I mean her her similar like special touch to them that makes it seem kind of for lack of a better word hip yeah, well it feels like uh they all have uh, <laughs> an indie flavor flying right through them they're yeah. not like a studio so, film i cannot confirm nor deny because it, i think i've seen it once and uh i guess i didn't like it enough to watch it multiple times but i don't know i'm looking at a night's tale right here because i like to have the imdb up and it says the budget on this was $65 million. Now, I have seen yeah. numerous times where it only cost 20 And I'm more mm. prone to believing that. Um, it made 117 worldwide. When you tell me $65 million, it has no stars. Heath Ledger had just come off of The Patriots. So I'm guessing at most he may have cost half a million. <laughs> Brian Helgeland is not I a mean, well-known this director. Was yeah. This was 2001. None of those people were names at all. Right. Rufus Sewell or had just, come off of Dark City barely. and that was a flop. Yeah. Oh, I'm 
I was just looking at the Marie Antoinette thing, and definitely there's, like, music by The Cure and, like, okay. Bow Wow Wow and, like, stuff like that. So I just wanted to confirm, yes, I believe they use some – looks to me like 80s music mostly. Um, but so maybe I should revisit that it's at some point. Maybe with anyway. the, the Virgin Suicides, yeah. Um. Oh, yeah. You know, the, I'm pretty sure that I actually did see – a Knight's Tale on the movie theater too. Can you confirm or deny? Did I see that with you? Um, I... This is when I was injured. I, I there's a, a period there okay. where I saw no movies between I saw. Yeah. I want to say the last one I saw was Urban Legends: The Final Cut, and then I didn't go mm. to a movie again until I went to the drive-in to see um, Ghost of Mars and. Mm. I can't remember the other one. It's from 2001. I'll remember some of them. But yeah, there was a, t- a period there where I couldn't sit. But um, no, I did okay. not I did not go to, to this with you, but I know that you saw this. Oh, you do remember that? I okay. Do remember, I, yeah. I was felt for, I felt pretty confident that I did. And I guess this was when I was, you know, finding my independence and whatnot cuz I was like I said 21 when this came when these movies came out. So I guess I had a social life at one point. I don't now, but I but I did once. Woohoo! Uh, at the time, I did not like this movie. And I actually held it in a bad light for a very long time. And then I watched it this time. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, no, I like it. It's just too long. I don't understand why it's so yes. damn long. And they need to cut like 20 minutes at least. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if I liked it or not. I, because I don't remember ever watching it more than the one time at the theater or maybe I watched it at one time on video with you after the fact or something but I remembered very little about it other than I remembered some of the cast and the general idea but not necessarily positive feelings about it but yeah I did enjoy it more this time and while I don't necessarily think that the whole music you know, classic rock, whatever thing makes, still doesn't really make a, a ton of sense to me. Um, <clears throat> but it didn't, also didn't really take away anything for me. No, at least they uh, went I with think... that instead of going with like pop punk, mm-hmm. at, you know, which was popular at the time. I, if I had heard Limp Biscuit in this, I would have laughed and shut yeah. it off. <laughs> I feel pretty confident that this was my first introduction to Paul Bettany as well as Alan Tudyk. Yeah. Uh, because for a really long time, those were how what I re- correlated them with were these movies. Even though it wasn't neither one of them their first films, but pretty early in both of their careers. Um, <clears throat> and uh, I think the you know that the gal on this Shannon Sossaman or whatever man, she was a hot the hot thing for a for a hot minute, huh? Like. Yeah, but she it was, was so short-lived. It was this and, like, 40 Days and 40 Nights, and it seemed like that was it. When Rules of Attraction came out, people were like, no, we're moving on. Like, I don't necessarily think she's a bad actress or anything, but I don't also i am not necessarily... I think she's a great actress either. I think that she may be what dates this movie for me. Yeah, I mean, she's adequate. I think the character that she plays actually has some sense of agency about her. She she yes. is feisty, and especially in that church scene, um, yes. I think her demands are a little ridiculous that he loses uh, for yes, no fucking reason. I agree. I actually believe that... the weakest part of this movie is what they were trying to sell are the jousting. I don't care. 
I also think how yeah. how are you able to afford so many of those jousting? What do you call them? Sticks, batons? I don't know. Um, I'm sure there's like a an official name for it, but yeah, that, that supplies cost a lot of money, and you just like destroy them like nothing. I mean, is that how they were intended you- to? Were they intended to shatter like this? Because that makes no sense to me. Well, I don't really think that we have time to evaluate medieval mechanics. No, we're going to pause right now. We're going to travel to a Renaissance fair and ask them how it was possible. I've I've actually seen live jousting. Have you ever seen it? Uh, well, Wait. does it count if I went to like medieval times? Well, what is that thing that we went to in Vegas? Did they joust? Medieval times? That no, medieval times is a whole different <laughs> brand. It was something else. It was like Excalibur or something. It was like medieval times. It's very similar. Oh, it was yeah. It was in the Excalibur hotel. I guess I thought it was the the same thing as medieval times. I don't know. Yeah, they didn't have any shattering sticks because nobody could afford that. That's actually an issue in this movie. Is that they're always out of money. And that they always have to work some garden, yes. especially in the beginning. And I'm like, well, where did you afford all these fucking, you know, jousting? I'm going to call them jousting swords. I don't know what you call them. Um, but <laughs> it, it's so ridiculous how many times they just explode. And I know cinema, you know, cinema-wise, it, it looks great. You know, on film, it looks great. But it also seems really just unbelievable that they could do this all the time. You know what's, like, an interesting thing for me is what you're saying, you know, that 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 element of the movie was actually, like, the least interesting to you. And in fact, I dare say that that in some ways it seems like that is the least interesting element to the people who wrote this movie as well. Because there are several times, I mean, there's there's a lot of action scenes where they are competing, right? Yeah. Throughout this movie. It's an ongoing competition, whatever. <clears throat> How many times did they actually completely cut away from the action and just show you the beginning part where Jeff, uh, our, our delightful Paul, Be- Paul Bettany as Jeffrey Chaucer, which is a bit of a stretch, but, um, you know, he goes, his fanfare introducing him to the audience and the big hoopla, and then he comes out on his horse, and then they basically cut away to the end scene where he is reigned the champion. Like, there's actually multiple times in the movie that they don't even show the action. I realize they probably had to mix it up because you can't just have this that over and over and over and over again, but... There's literally times that the movie itself is about jousting and it skips the jousting. Yeah, what drives me nuts is that they introduced um, the whole thing where he could compete in multiple things. And then he just throw it away. I was like, well, True. there's your variety. You didn't Excellent need to cut point. if you had act- yes. If you had treated it like it was Olympics where it was different types of competition, that True. solves your problem. Yes, that's a good point. I do think that while this movie is enjoyable, oh, it's called a lance. (laughs) I had to look it up. That's a hell of a lot more sense. Sorry. Jousting stick, lance. It's easier to say. Um, um, That there are certain things in this movie that if they had put a little bit more thought into how they approached it, it actually would have made the movie probably shorter, shorter, a little bit more seamless and uh, would have made more sense if they had just given it a little more thought. Uh, 
That's such a good point. It would have been far more interesting if they had just followed through on what they discussed in the beginning. Yeah, I don't and understand why they there just were said multiple events because basically this was like they they talked about him competing in various. Yes, jousting was supposed to be his. Wasn't sword fighting even supposed to be? Yeah, his and they they show ever? that in the beginning he does do a couple yeah. of those and then they just throw it away and he says something like I got to focus on the jousting. I'm like why? <laughs> yeah, why? There appears to be no skill involved with this. Yeah, you know, and the one thing I do give it credit to, even though it was kind of frustrating, is they introduce, um, there's the whole boys club, but then they introduce uh, like a third of the way in, you know, uh, the blacksmith, the lady who's a blacksmith. Yes. And I'm like, oh, um, see, I couldn't remember any of the movie. I'm like, oh, he's going to fall in love with her. He's going to realize that uh, Jocelyn is not the right woman for her. She comes from this noble, you know, thing that he doesn't come from. And he's aiming high. He needs to, you know, it, it, like uh, some kind of wonderful, but, you know, sword and sorcery times. Um, and then he's going to fall. If they made the movie now, I think that's what would have happened. Probably. But at the same time, they really don't make a huge deal of her being a woman after, like, you know, that first scene where she has to prove, you know, like, oh, I can make the right. armor. Fuck you, you know. Um, they don't make a big deal of it. She's just part of the crew. They don't give her her own romance. You know, that thing that you feel like there's always that need to do, like, oh, she needs to fall in love with Alan Tudyk or something. They don't right. address that. So I can uh, – kudos to that, but at the same time, I was like, well, uh, I, I don't know. I don't, it's a really torn on that one. I mean, I think that it is – I feel like maybe they did that be, to to symbolize that, that she is – Yes, they're not ignoring the fact that she's a female, but they don't, you're right, don't feel a need to, like, well, she's a chick. She needs to have a love interest because every woman does. Yeah. You know, she she had something that was her special thing, her special skills, what she offered to the group, and she was part of the team, and that's just what it was. They just, you know, I, re, in reality, of course, you know, in in real times and not the movie version that wouldn't happen but uh you know it's entirely okay for fiction right yes do you want to know what the lances were made out of so they would explode uh poop yes <laughs> what the fuck <laughs> yes right horse manure um <laughs> i'm sure there is enormous amounts of horse maneuver to manure to go around so it just seemed like a logical guess to me yeah. there's no way this cost 65 million dollars i'm looking at the production of this first off it's basically one set i bet you made it they made a circular set so they could just film as you know moving around the circle whatever and then just had one redressed jousting area it was shot in prague which is known for being super dirt cheap and I, there's no way it cost 65. I'm guessing the 20 million yeah. is correct. So the lances were made to explode so that it would not injure the stunt riders because I guess you get severely injured. So they were pre-scored so that they would shatter. They were made out of balsa wood, and then they were hollowed out and filled with mm. uncooked linguine. Shut up! <laughs> yeah. It's a manure. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, other than this, I really think it's an entertaining movie. Um, I would say the most interesting part, though, is especially when they flash back to his childhood. You build the story as it go as it goes, so that you know why he's doing what he's doing. And I really yeah. like the class warfare of all of this. Rufus Sewell is a king of pricks. He is a fucking asshole in this, and the way that he treats Indeed. people, everybody he treats like shit. Even the girl that he's trying to, uh, um, what's what I'm saying. 
Uh, woo. Woo, I guess, is the word I want. <laughs> He's not really Court. trying to woo her, though. He's just trying to, like, make a deal for her hand. Like, yeah. he doesn't really care about her at all. It's really just uh, a comp. Everything's a competition to him. Yeah. Um, directed by Ryan Helgeland, who had come off of doing Payback with Mel Gibson. So I'm wondering if that's how you hooked up with um, uh, Heath Ledger is because, you know, Mel Gibson and him did Patriot the next year. So I can see how yeah. that all rolled together. Um, I don't recall Helgeland really directing a bunch. Those first two were hits, but he was known as a very good writer. Uh, won the Oscar for uh, L.A. Confidential, and that kind of gave him his route to go do Payback. Other uh, mm. things that he's been involved with. Um, what are you doing over there? <laughs> Who? You. You're making racket. <laughs> I'm not doing anything. Really? Okay. I hear like it's popping. Um, also wrote Conspiracy Theory, The Postman, uh, Mystic River, Man on Fire, Taking a Pelham 123. But he did a movie that I really enjoy that we'll probably be discussing on this is Cirque du Freak, The Vampire's Assistant. Hmm. This guy's won a lot of awards. Holy crap. Uh, I like a lot of these movies, and I noticed that he's worked with Mel Gibson now multiple times, uh, Heath Ledger multiple times. He did the um, not really things that I wouldn't really write home about the order, which I don't remember much, except for that same girl is in the movie. Wait, Mark yeah. Addy is in it also? Yeah. This is him reuniting with a lot of yeah. yeah, yeah. He wrote. He he worked with Clint Eastwood several times. I will also note that uh, he, it, I guess, he wrote the like the first script to the Wild Bunch remake that's coming out. That yeah, they've been threatening that for Mel like Gibson, which really yeah, surprised me. I've been hearing this for a decade. I don't think it's ever going to happen. Oh, okay. I don't know. Um. I was just surprised that people still wanted to work with Mel Gibson, to be honest. Yeah, I don't get that. I, I, I Look, I'm able to separate the two, you know, the, the person yeah. from the yeah, art. Yeah. But after the fact, no. No, once you fuck I up, mean, you're done, in my book. Just to, to be fair, like, even if we're not talking about, you know, the stuff, he, he just cu- has appeared to be a really difficult person to work with. That's the impression that he kind of has given off to the world. At least that's what I, it yeah. seems like to me. Yeah. So like that's, that's as much of what I'm talking about than anything. It's like people still want to work with, I mean, I guess people still want to work with like, um, what's his name? Um, the guy who played Batman and he's proven to be a little difficult. Yeah, yeah, but Christian Bale doesn't seem to be a racist who says horrible, horrible things and no. denies the Holocaust. It's just Christian Bale has I mean, a, he's a, he's a, what do you call that, um, uh, he's a hot-tempered individual. Yeah, I don't know, but when but... you get, oh damn, what do they call it, method actor. When you get locked into your method, sometimes you True. can be difficult, yeah, so. Um, I mean, I'm not really an actor, so I don't know, yeah. but you I, I realize that there's definite differences between the two, but anyway. Yeah, I was going to say, you have to, acted, digress. though, so you know. I'm just saying, it's just for funsies. It's not like I'm a professional. Yeah. 
Um, I say the movie is pretty entertaining. Like I said, it's too long. The action sequences are not the important part. The comedy is surprisingly good, and it's a lot of the movie. But there are some really heartfelt moments. His reunion that's with what, his that's the father. the thing about this movie is yeah. that there's so many different things melded together that it's a little bit hard for me. Like the comedy's good, the serious stuff is good, but then there's when it's like it's a little over the top comedy or like little jokes like the Nike swoosh and stuff. That's a little hard for me. I, I didn't even remember that. Had... <laughs> huh? I didn't remember that at all. The blacksmith gal like literally etches in Nike a Nike swoosh on his like his like gear that she makes for him. Okay, I gotta see that because I didn't remember that at all. Wow. <laughs> and there was there was oh and also there was a part where like he he like gives a little like when they're driving through town he like gives this little boy in town like the thumbs up and you're like literally he just invented the thumbs up you know <laughs> stuff like that it was just like there's a few things that were just a little hokey that I think made stretch the comedy a little too far right so it's it's Although, not natural comedy they, it's forced jokes. right. If there was a, yes, I guess that's right. There was a few things that felt forced, and those were the things. Where like otherwise, I, I you're right. The, the serious moments were really good. Like you know with with his dad, and you know his his childhood backstory, and uh, and you know, and I I do also love the the the, the humorous stuff, like. Uh, just with the crew I love the part you know just like when they're all together kind of like not competing and they're all shooting the shit or like you know talking about romance or helping him write the love letter to her which was really fucking good by the way um that shit made her cry her face off why did she she believed it she was moved by it so why did she go so far as to make try to make him lose that competition that's what i don't get yeah that doesn't make any sense to me either um it was that it really pissed me off there was an element anyway. that i think people forget in this is uh, if anybody ever talks about this movie is um paul <laughs> bettany's character is actually a major fuck up and that's a big driving point in yes. the movie too because he's constantly like, oh, they saved his ass and he fucked up again. They're going to kill him. They're going to kill him if he doesn't get his shit together. And what does he do? He makes them all make huge bets with all of the money that they have and it's a huge gamble. Yeah. And they almost like, oh, there's, ugh. I mean, I realized that, you know, the point of a good story is to have conflict and, you know, he definitely over and over and over again helped create conflict for their group but it was just like why do you have to do that god damn it <laughs> our second film is moulin rouge a movie i have also not seen since i uh, the very first time i watched it on video um i remember not particularly digging it but i wanted to give it a second chance because i had found a new appreciation for baz Luhrmann because uh the get down is maybe the greatest tv series i've ever seen and uh, I'm starting to appreciate what he was trying to do long term. I can't do Romeo and Juliet. That was the original thing that we discussed. I, something about Shakespeare bugs the shit out of me because I don't know what the fuck they're saying. <laughs> I yeah, I do think that like in honesty, it's probably a better fit, uh, but it's not a better film. So I, I you know uh, uh, on my end, I saw this in the movie theater. 
I was so fucking jazzed about it. I love Nicole Kidman. I love Ewan McGregor. Big fan of Leguizamo. Like, I love musicals so fucking much that I will li- I, I am, like, any movie that's, like, a musical or, we've talked about this before, or, you know, music is a, hu- a, a huge part of the movie, like, I am so there. Yeah. So 21-year-old me was so jazzed for this movie, and I'm telling you, my ass was crying in the theater when I saw this, and I have easily, you know, I'm so, very opposite of you, seen this movie at least 20 times i would say i love this movie but there so. is one thing there is one thing that you and i would do this at least four or five yeah. movies a year would come out where something in the movie made us laugh so fucking hard that we, it would be like an inside joke to us for, for years yeah. and this one was foul play <laughs> we used to just look at each other and like this turkey isn't very good do you remember? Grandma didn't know what the hell was going on. And we're eating at Thanksgiving, and I, it was something about the turkey was off, and I looked at, my, at you, and I went, foul play, and we laughed our asses <laughs> off, and she just looked, she goes, what's going on? I don't know what's happening. And she probably got mad, like, immediately, because yeah. she didn't understand our inside joke. Uh, God damn us and our inside jokes our whole lives. Uh, right now, there's, I'm going to tell you, there's, there's, gonna, there's an inside joke that we've had for 20-something years. She, and I still don't think you've ever seen the movie. I saw Anaconda, and we're never going to discuss it on the show because it's not teen-oriented, but I saw Anaconda, and I tried to describe to her what John Voight does, and she laughed so fucking hard, but over the years, it got mutated into, like, I think all he does is just go, uh, Ice Cube goes, Snakes don't eat people! And John Voight looks uh, looks at his face and goes, Oh, they don't? And, and he like he like he like runs his finger down his like his scar. Yeah. But but over the years it has turned into shucks don't uh, sorry snakes don't eat people. Oh they don't. <laughs> it just gets more and more exaggerated. Oh, you know I'm pretty sure I have seen the film, but it doesn't matter because it's one of our inside jokes, and that's just that. There's you know there's certain things that will never not be funny. Yeah, and that's not mother. There's not a- mother. Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, but with this one, uh, there, I almost bailed. I almost asked you to change the movie because there's a thing that happens with this movie in the first half hour that it's so manic, so high yes. energy, the camera won't stop shaking. It actually triggered yes. an anxiety attack. I could not handle it. I didn't know what the fuck was going on. It felt like a fever dream. It's on purpose. I know of this now. Of course it is. Well, I didn't know. I was freaking out. I was like, what the fuck is happening? You know that... I mean, it's trying to, it's trying to depict... I mean, I don't know how factual this is, obviously. I mean, I, I would imagine that there's some basis in the reality of the Moulin Rouge and what was happening in that time period and, you know, the absence and the Green Fairy and all that stuff. I mean... He he. I mean, he was. Were they still high as fuck on the Green Fairy? I think they probably were. And if they weren't, this was probably a normal feeling for people to to be frantic and and high and crazy and also the 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 high of the the revolution and the the the, the message and the shit they were trying to accomplish was nuts. Yeah, and I, you know, realizing that you're supposed to be Ewan McGregor, I didn't even dawn on me until about halfway through the movie. I was like, oh, I screwed this up. So I feel like I need to go watch it again. But, um, 
it, once it gets past that, it becomes an absolutely fantastic film. I was truly thrown off, and I forgot Nicole Kidman's fucking funny. She really knows how to handle comedy, and now I understand how she ended up getting like bewitched and stuff like that. Yes, although I don't think that movie is as bad as it got gets a rep for. Uh, I she did some stuff that didn't do well, but I don't think that is really a, was a, because of her performance. No, well, I think She's, this is the year right after she was divorced from Tom Cruise, and she had this and the others, and both were big hits, and it's kind of like a "fuck you, I can survive without you" statement oh, from Nicole yeah. Kidman. I saw the others too. Damn, that was a good year for her. Yeah, Woo! and then, and then you know, then the big paychecks came in, and then I don't think she was as selective with her material. Um, so some of that stuff kind of stunk yeah. up the joint, but whatever. How many times do you get I to mean, be a female every, lead and make a lot of money? Everybody has that. Yeah. Everybody has something that they think is going to be, like, I don't know, fun or a good paycheck or it's going to do great. Like, you, we don't know people's motivations. I mean, and I also, mean what the fuck do we like, do for a living, how do you, right? How do, you inter- how do you interpret this on paper? You know, how do you look at Moulin Rouge and interpret that shit on paper and looking at a script, you know? Yeah, there has like, to be a lot you know, of faith put in Baz Luhrmann with these. Yeah. And to be fair, like Baz Luhrmann, this was only like the third movie or something he directed. And, and in my opinion, like Romeo and Juliet may have been popular because of the, you know, the act, the people in the film, of course, Leo is going to bring all the girls to the yard, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) did that make you spit? It did. Yes. Yeah, right. My movie's better than yours. That that makes me feel so accomplished that I made you spit. Um, but it's not. I mean, I don't really think it's that great of a movie. Now, uh, the movie, the first movie he directed, uh, the ballroom one. I forget. Strictly uh, ballroom. Strictly ballroom is a to me is a much better, much more fun, much more enjoyable film, but it was his first and there's no really big names. And, you know, you kind of have to like, like random ass shit and just pick it up at the movie, you know, at the video store when it came out, I think it's much more, I mean, it's similar in more ways to this film than, than Romeo and Juliet. Anyway, this was only his first, third film and really were they banking all this money and faith on on romeo and juliet's success and that's it that's, I a, guess. that's the craziest thing is musicals are dead as a doornail we don't even have the broadway re- the broadway revival i think happens either this year or the next year with like the producers and stuff like that and it's 50 million dollars that's a huge fucking risk Maybe it was based on, well, Ewan McGregor just came off of Star Wars and Nicole Kidman's, uh, you know, a household name. Maybe, you know, in, in the sellable name of Romeo and Juliet. It, yeah. it did okay in America. It broke even. I think it made $50 million in America. But what happened was is that it made like $180 million worldwide. And that gave him so much more room. But I know that after this, I feel like he was trying to make a bunch of movies and they just kept – something was happening. I think he was trying to do like a Alexander the Great movie. But then that one with um, Colin Farrell came out and tanked, and so it got Ugh. held up. And then I think he was trying to do Great Gatsby, but that got held up. So he did Australia, which I think is highly underrated. I think Australia is a fantastic movie that no one ever talks about. 
Um, um, I think it's a really beautiful movie. I don't think I love it, but I admit I have only seen it once, so I don't think I could speak on... I mean, I am there for literally anything, almost anything, except for Swordfish, that Hugh Jackman is in, but... Um, Our mutual hatred for trash. Swordfish. I'm sorry. Literally, there's only it one is... movie I've ever hated in it, Swordfish, and I'm going to give it another shot. Uh, but... I mean, you can't deny, like, it's a beautiful-ass movie, that's for sure. But um, I, wanted to, I wanted to say that in addition to the, um, the, simil- the similarities that we've, you know, found in these two movies, there is another similarity that a lot of people probably know, or not a similarity, but a connection that, some, that people might know but might not, is that... Um, Heath Ledger was really high up there as a potential for Christian. Like, he auditioned. He was very, very, uh, like, high up in the possibilities of playing the role. I think he was the top few contenders. And he wanted, supposedly, it's rumor, I don't know, that he wanted the role so bad that he was so mad at Baz Luhrmann for not casting him that that later when he offered him the, a, a role in Australia, he refused to be in it out of spite. Wow. He, I mean, it's, so it's not I hard. I can see it not being hard to believe because, you know, it's, it's a very sensitive world. And if you're rejected for something you think you're perfect for, you know, I can I can see something like that happen. I mean, maybe not so much his personality. I don't I don't know anything about Heath Ledger, but I can see yeah. why it would hold a grudge. But it's interesting is that he's Australian and Nicole Kidman is also Australian and, and Baz Luhrmann Australian. So, you know, we have that connection too. Is that your leads are Australian? Of course, yeah. I'm um, also getting Jake Gyllenhaal. He was way too young. This is he's coming off October Sky with this. And I mean, boy. both both <laughs> he and Heath Ledger were too young. They yeah. were both too young. I mean, even even um, at the time. Ewan McGregor was like four years younger than her or something, so it's like, I mean, four years is not that big of a deal. No, but it actually feels like it's important for the role is that he's looking up to her. He is out of his element. Yes. We, you know, we're we're a Christian, and he sees her as this older, more worldly woman. Um, yeah, I don't know what it was like back then. I, it seems kind of surprising that she got tuberculosis so young, but I also don't know what it was like a hundred years ago with this. No, I don't know. I mean, it seems like it was it was something that I mean, is this is that still something that there's no cure for? I don't even know. Is it even exist anymore? I don't know. I don't even know. It's so funny if you watch a western, it's not called tuberculosis, it's called consumption. But I think I think that at, that they do refer to it do they refer to it multiple both ways in this movie? I, think I feel they like might. they did. Yeah, you know what? I think they did. I think they do. So, um, I think they actually do call it the consumption in this movie. But um, so yes, even if the characters are supposed to be similar in age, which they don't address, it doesn't really matter. Um, it just you know needs to be believable. Uh, yes, I do think that he does. Uh, he obviously is very innocent, very naive uh, about the ways of the world, and as, 
especially about the situation he's gotten himself into. You know, he has these romantic ideas about the world. And, you know, of course, they show his dad thinks he's totally ridiculous and so naive, which he is. You know, and he just just accidentally falls into this world, literally, like by chance and and by proximity, uh, that he you know gets gets involved with this and his wide-eyed, naive, uh, romantic nature is maybe what makes him and, and sincerity is what makes him a good writer and makes him involved in this situation yeah if he had um, not been so naive i think he would have uh, turned away from it because of the danger that he puts himself in um numerous times and but oh, God, Lerman, yeah. he, some of the stuff is wacky but they never ever lose a sense that the duke is a fucking psycho Yes, and, and frankly, Jim Broadman's character is also—he is a fucking like he acts like he's so nice, but there's some really sinister shit going on. Yeah, he's really scary at times, and even though you can see that he clearly loves her and cares deeply for her, he has an agenda, and his agenda is to keep them all fucking alive. You know, it's serious, it's dire. The shit that they're messing with is serious and they I mean it's kind of I mean it's kind of a game to them for a long time and you know I think until the point where she says you know I don't want to pretend anymore which is pretty much towards the end of the movie none of them is re- realizes the severity of what they're getting into that that uh, that scene the scene where um, she is with the Duke and at the same time, they're having the um, the Roxanne scene, those two, you know, dueling situations. That's when, I mean, you know that the Duke is nutso, but th- I think that's when you realize how freaking scary the situation is that they're in. That's one, somebody's going to die yeah. like, if they do not stop what they're doing. Um, but all at the same time, like, I truly believe the like their their like romance and their um, their connection and their uh, like it seems so genuine. Like you know, sometimes in movies you're just like mm, that chemistry is not happening, but this feels legit. I think it's part partially the way that they you know develop it and show like this the 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 intimacy of their scenes like oh you know he's he's reading the play to her and and, you know she he shares all his work with her and uh obviously there's actual like serious like ooh chemistry going on between them and it well here's the other thing take take it beyond the film take this to the point that nicole kidman's character is looking to Christian as a safe space. And in real life, she is yeah. just coming out of the torturous, mind-boggling world of Scientology with an ego-freak oh, husband and, you know, and basically destroyed her life. And So basically, this represents way more to her than just right and ewan mcgregor legitimately seems like a really nice guy he would not be working as much as he did if he was a difficult person to deal with and as far as i know he is like the tom hanks of his generation everybody loves him he always shows up and does his job 
And I'm thinking that Ewan McGregor and her chemistry was about safe spaces and that he provided that. Yeah, that he treated her with respect and they, I mean, you have to have like, like some established like respect and, you know, safety to do what they did. That's hard. And that's like also for a lot of people to perform like that, the singing, the dancing, the, the, the craziness of this film and what they accomplished is not an easy thing to do. And it can be very, you can have to make yourself very vulnerable to, to have the success they did. I mean, my, like his first, like I was super, super, super impressed by his singing and just think, Jesus Christ, he is so talented. Like, yeah, that's he, the belt, I feel like the he's saying, he does. does he, my God, has he done an animated movie where he sings? I feel like I've heard him sing somewhere else. You know, when I looked at his, his at singing credits on IMDb, there's actually a lot of them. Really? He's actually saying in a lot of stuff that I didn't realize. Um, oh, Down With Love, right? It. Doesn't he sing in Down With what? Love? Yes, he does sing with Down With Love. That's one of them. Shit, I really need to revisit that movie, too. But soundtrack credits, 23. Wow. Now, has Nicole Kidman ever sung before? I don't think she has as strong of a voice. Do you know that where I heard her sing before, I think before this movie, was um, she does a song with Robbie Williams on, like, this, this, like, album that he had that I really liked. Uh, that I don't know that she's saying in anything else before, but I will say, you know what you're thinking of is he was in, he did the singing voice of like Lumiere and Beauty and the Beast. Have you seen that one? The live action Beauty and the Beast? Uh, oh no, I have not. He sang a song in Dr. Sleep, which I haven't seen yet. God, oh my God. In... Oh, that is, it's so fucking good. The best movie of okay. 2018, honestly. Train Spotting 2, it says he's singing in that. Uh, Miss Potter, he's singing that. Uh, Velvet Goldmine, A Life Less wow. Ordinary. Emma, Emma, like actually a shit ton of his. Wow. Movies okay. Okay. He has they just, an amazing they just voice. Musicals. Yeah. The. Um, we'll talk about the rest of the cast real quickly. Uh, Richard Roxburgh sure. is the Duke in this, and I remember for a brief moment he was hot shit. He was the villain in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and uh, Van Helsing, mm. and both just stunk up the joint. I'm telling you right now, I have n- I've never seen him since. I think he was also in Australia, probably, but um, I had never seen him before this. He was so believable in his like creepiness and all. I mean, he's been acting since 1987. He has a ton of credits, but most of them are probably, you know, in Australia and yeah, things that yeah. didn't quite make it to to American audiences. He said he was the in Mission Impossible Two. Okay, that's uh, the one I hate. Which you might remember him from. Everybody take your mask off, slow mo. Yeah, um, and, and but finally, no, you're yeah. same. I don't really remember. He really stands out in this, and not much else. Legozamo, the fucking oh, just I'm watching him since what? Wait, Mario Brothers, I think. I mean, it's been decades where he has just been on the cusp of being a star, and he kind of bounced around. Of course, he made all his good money with Ice Age, but he's always been a guy who's extremely reliable, and 
just stuff he'll do. His knees must be shot because in 1997 yeah. he played Spawn where he had to have those little lifts to rest his legs on and, you know, squat down. He had to do it in this too. I think in this one he wasn't squatting down. He was literally on his knees scraping around. And I think that this may have caused him legitimate, like, damage. Yeah. I will say, too, it does say also that I, uh, in the IMDb notes, I think she cracked some ribs that, like, threw off the filming some. I think he was going back and forth. Um, oh, yeah, filming halted for two weeks and she fractured two ribs and injured her knee. Uh, she was in a wheelchair for a little bit. Um, yeah, anyway, I think that this movie was for... really tough on them at to some point. Yeah. Oh, it says, consequently, he had to endure several weeks of physical therapy afterwards. Oh. So, yeah, this movie did a number on a lot of people. Like, fig, like, like literally, it, 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 it caused them pain. Yeah, but look at the final results. Sometimes you just go, you know what? It was worth it. But I, I'm also not them, so I can't say that. <laughs> yeah. I will just say from, like, the minute the they, like, you know, they start the movie and it's, like, you're in a theater and they, like, roll back the curtains to the point where they, like, roll them back again. Just, God, what a visually stunning, like, every piece of it is just yeah. masterful. And I think that his wife is a is a costume designer and did the costumes for this movie and many others. Yeah, well, look um, at the set design. I mean, he's using CGI yeah. mixed with miniatures, mixed with uh, uh, plates, um, yeah. and then just flat-out backdrops to make the city just look so unbelievably gorgeous. The depth of field and how he shoots this is awe-inspiring. Do you think that did he use like did you just say miniatures? Yeah, I think there's a combination of many, many different elements. I would think it would have to be some kind of like if it, you know how in like Beetlejuice how they have like I feel like the actual like the whole town is like yeah he builds it all up. That's kind of how it feels like that they must have done something similar to create some of that scene, those the scenery. It's yeah, because so 2001, you still can see CGI. It just it doesn't age very well. But there's, I think there's some elements where he used to mix it to make it blend better, so you can move the camera around in it. Um, but it truly, it's a vision, and that's the thing that I didn't appreciate at the time is that Baz Luhrmann was going for something that nobody else was doing. And did you notice it seemed like a lot of movies, especially like um, independent, like foreign films, took a lot from mm-hmm. the tone of this. And when I when I saw Moulin Rouge, I go, oh, this feels like a lot of like Amelie, you know, that kind of thing where they were trying to get a wacky tone and a look to it that was very particular uh-huh. to like that specific time period. Yeah, no, I know, I kind of know what you mean. Uh... Yeah, that they really inspired a lot of stuff visually and 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 in the tone. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, I, I would say yes to both, but there you've got to prepare yourself. I think mentally for Moulin Rouge because, like I said, I was not ready for that frantic energy and almost triggered something for me. But um, both are easily available. Yeah, Go ahead. I was just gonna say, yeah, there are definitely moments that like feel like a drug trip and I truly think that was intentional yeah and Likozamo if you don't like high energy he is just playing this wild crazy character which reminded me of when he did that show House of Buggin 
because he got mm-hmm. to play some of the craziest fucking characters. And that's kind of who he is. Yes, I think for a while he was a leading man, but I think he's best when he's a character actor. I mean, he has done some of the most, like, interesting choices. And there, it's really, he's all over the map, which I think is amazing. It proves, you know, how how talented he is that he can play so many different kinds of characters. But even though I've always been a fan of his, I was truly impressed by him in this because while the movie and his character obviously have a a silly element to it, there is a deep sadness and complexity to his role too that... He's he very doesn't pro- often do. Right. But he's also very protective. It's not in your face, but there's moments in this where he's like, oh God, I got to stop this now. I got to, you know, somehow save this. And yeah, you're right. There's a lot of pathos yeah. buried underneath the frantic, crazy energy. Yeah. Um, so that is... So I just, I just oh, think, yeah, it's just super, super complex. This movie is just, is so complex and so are all the characters. And I think that they do such a good job of showing that, that, you know... The, the motivations are, you know, no one's, like, truly good, maybe except for Christian, but, like, it's just the situation that they're in is dire, and there's, a lot of them are, you know, sh- scrambling to, to have a better life, and they, you know, really, Christian and Satine, like, really risk the, the welfare of, literally almost everyone in in the movie hundreds of people who rely on the moulin rouge and its success and uh that's i mean really it's rather selfish if you think about it but also but didn't don't they deserve didn't they deserve that happiness too it's a really complex yeah well the the best movies aren't that clear cut yeah no Life is messy, and I think that's a really, you know, I think that's a huge thing that they're trying to portray here, too. Yeah. Well, and it's a lot yeah. of that, the aesthetics that you love about this, he brings to the get-down, which I, I would love for you to see, and maybe we can do it sometime down the road. But our next episode is going to be a summer break episode, and we're going to be discussing Salute Your Shorts, and, uh, oh my god, I even have a shirt of it. What the fuck? Uh, hello... Oh my god, Mindy, help me. My brain hurts. Hey, dude. I don't know what we're doing hey, next. Sorry. Salute your shorts and hey, dude. I can't believe I forgot that. Oh. But I okay. want to let you know. I, I have, had I, no idea, but that sounds like a lot of fun. Yes, I have a salute your shorts t-shirt in my closet right now. Oh, <laughs> oh wow. I didn't know that. I didn't know you liked it that much. This is going to be fun. Uh, yeah, I just think about all those shows from that time that you and I used to watch. Like, um, hey, hello, freshman. Pete. Pete. Pete and Pete. Uh, what's the one that Ryan Reynolds started on? 15, then turned into 16 or 15. something like that? Someday I want to watch Degrassi High, but there was an era. And Roundhouse. I just, oh my god, Roundhouse. Um, but I shit. figured, hey dude, and, and uh, Salute Your Shorts are perfect summer shows. Which I think is how we discovered it was. It's like the summer of 92. Um, oh, the glory days of Snick. <laughs> oh god damn, I know. I miss that so hard. All right, so check us out on Facebook under Hit Rewind Podcast, and thank you very much, and have a good night.